Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. Hope you're doing well. We are here with a good friend, Paul Joseph Watson, the editor-at-large of Infowars.com. You can find him on YouTube at youtube.com slash prisonplanetlive. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. I've, I was just saying I kept the flag up just for you, just for this interview. <laughs> I appreciate that. Now, uh, just just a quick, I, I don't actually live in England and haven't for some years, but I just, I have a quick question. Uh, is gravity still operating in, in England and in Great Britain? Is water still running downhill? Is the sun still rising? Or has, in fact, the Armageddon, Armageddon and end times come to pass? No, surprisingly enough, Godzilla is not rampaging through the streets, you know, devouring people. What actually happened was, you know, we had all this Armageddon talk, predictions of absolute gloom and chaos. The FTSE ended the week 2.4% up compared to last Friday. You know, it was, it was its best performance in four months. We had all these leaders of these countries come out and said, yes, we're ready for a new trade deal. Let's do it right now. We had banks come out and say, oh, you know, these these banks that were vehemently anti-Brexit come out and say, we're not going to have to shift all these jobs overseas after all. Things are generally going to be okay. So no, Armageddon didn't befall. We're not in World War Three yet. So things are pretty hunky-dory right now. To be fair, though, it is still, at least uh, over here, somewhat early in the day. And of course, uh, you know, there's, there's still the weekend to go. So we'll see whether or not Ragnarok has occurred. Uh, but I'm not going to hold my breath. And this thing, too, if you say, ah, the British pound dropped and so on. Well, I guess people who don't know much about trading, I actually started my career way back in the day as a uh, a programmer on a trading floor, uh, people set up a lot of bets when there's a big thing going on. And then those bets materialize, there's a quick shift. And then, you know, people put in their, um, they've, they've hedged things and they've, they've uh, shorted and so on. And it, it tends to even out. So one of the things I think is fascinating about this, uh, Paul, is the degree to which I think it's another nail in the coffin of the general media who cried wolf, cried Armageddon, cried the end of the world, and then nothing really happened. And not only did nothing happen, but they went back to saying, well, of course, we've weathered it perfectly with no reference to this earlier doom and glooming. At some point, aren't people going to get tired and annoyed at being jerked around in this kind of way? Well, I mean, exactly. It was a stunning defeat, not only for the media, but, you know, for the for the polling agencies, even for the bookmakers. They all got it completely spectacularly wrong. And now, you know, it's it's they've been completely discredited once again. So this is a stunning rejection of globalism. This is the dawn of a new, you know, a, a revolt. This is a populist revolt that we're seeing right now. And they never anticipated it. They never thought that we would have the momentum, the support to pull this off. And we did. So it, it's a stunning defeat. They're talking about, you know, Brexit supporters being shocked and surprised that they won. Just look at the frothing going on on the other side of the equation. It's those people who are comatose, who are in absolute shock. They don't know what to do. So it's a massive defeat for them. Well, and on, on so many levels, one of the things that um, I picked up on was the degree to which interest in leaving the EU spiked almost to the minute after President Obama weighed in and said what England uh, should do and how Great Britain should vote with regards to staying in the EU. So... That entire approach, his entire approach, seems to be rejected. And now, the more that people try to counsel or, or argue for inclusion into the globalist agenda, the more people seem to be interested in running in the exact opposite direction at the highest speed they can possibly muster. No, that's precisely it. I mean, I put out an article a few days ago saying that this is going to increase the chances of Trump winning. And that's exactly what it's going to do. 
because there's a there's a huge disparity between what the elite think that the people think and what the people actually think and what they act on. So this is going to be a huge shot in the arm for Trump. Again, because Hillary Clinton represents very much the same thing that the EU represented, which is this, you know, corrupt globalist body that people just have no faith or confidence in anymore. But what's even more surprising or interesting to me is today in London, you have thousands of, you know, leftists and, quote, anarchists out on the street protesting in their thousands in favor of the status quo in favor of bankers, in favor of big business. They're out on the street protesting the democratic vote of the British people. You know, only actual fascists would protest against a democratic vote. These people are absolute scum. They're physically attacking people who wear union jack hats, and they can't tolerate the fact that they lost. I mean, move on, for God's sake. And this is the issue that I brought up in my video this is not the end of it. The campaign never ends. It only carries on indefinitely because they're going to come with this idea for a second referendum. Already, you have 1.5 million people, I think it is by now, who have signed this petition on the government website. Parliament's now going to have to debate it to have a second referendum. Now, of course, David Cameron came out months ago and said, Whoever wins, we're not going to have a second referendum. It's not going to happen. But because they lost, they refused to accept they lost. They refused to accept the democratic will, the democratic decision of the British people. And every time I turn on Sky News, every time I turn on BBC yesterday and today, they're promoting this idea of a second referendum. It's completely anti-democratic. It's fascist at its heart. But what else would you expect from the left? But they're going big with this, and I think they're going to keep, you know, trying to push it. Well, it also, I think, I mean, I, I was following it all night, of course, as as you were. And um, the one thing that gave me some hope throughout the night until the more final results came in was the knowledge of, of so my knowledge of British history. Um, I mean, England was never, never fit in well in the Roman Empire, was pretty rebellious, never even joined the Holy Roman Empire, and of course went on in the 19th century uh, and earlier too to build an empire of its own. And one of the hard-won lessons, I think, of the past couple of decades, and certainly of the past couple of years for me, is this basic recognition that we live in a world of tribes. We live in a world of nations. And this this historical, this continual historical event to to push everyone together into one giant blob that that somehow is going to all work well together doesn't seem to work out. It didn't work out in Babylon. It didn't work out under the Roman Empire, under Alexander the Great's empire, and uh, now not for the EU either. And this this idea that you just jam all these disparate belief systems and languages and cultures and religions and histories all together and it's all just going to work out fine just seems to one of these to be one of these continual delusions in history. And I'm very very enthusiastic at the idea that the pendulum is beginning to swing back to something more rational. Well, precisely. And you also have to remember that one third of Labour Party supporters voted leave. So when you talk about immigration, obviously the, the narrative is, is, you know, a racist right wing bigots voted leave because they hate immigrants. Well, one third of Labour support Party supporters on the left voted leave. And it's not because they're racist right wing bigots. It's because they live in these towns, in these cities across the United Kingdom, especially in the north, where They've been displaced by these immigrant communities where their wages have been depressed. 
where their jobs have been shipped abroad, specifically because of the multicultural policy started by Tony Blair back in the 90s to bring in untold numbers of people to try and change the demographic makeup of Britain. That was the agenda. The leaked documents came out that that was the agenda. But now it's the classical liberals, the old left Labour supporters, you know, in places like Wales, in places like the northeast of England, who have come out and soundly rejected mass immigration. So for these virtue signalers, for these leftists, these socialists, these anarchists who are out on the streets protesting in favour of big government and big business, you know, it's not about right wing racist bigots. This, the tide was turned on this by classical liberals, by left-wingers who have had their communities ruined by mass immigration. So the race card doesn't work anymore. Even Jeremy Corbyn, Comrade Corbyn, you know, their communist leader, came out today and said, listen, you can't just keep calling your critics racist. These people have got genuine concerns. These aren't rich right-wing racists. These are poor people in working communities who have felt the impact of this mass immigration. They don't like it. They've rejected it. Well, and uh, I've made the case before, might as well do it again, which is that uh, certainly in the 60s and 70s, the left lost the argument after the crimes of Stalin were revealed in the 60s by Khrushchev and after the horrors of the Glorious Revolution and the Cultural Revolution under Chairman Mao were revealed. Millions of people uh, starved to death and so on. So the, the left lost the empirical argument with regards to the virtues of central planning and so on. And then they shifted. They shifted and said, okay, well, we can't win the argument anymore, but we're still powerless mad addicts for for political control. And so we're just going to start changing the demographics and importing people who tend to vote for the left. And that is not a very fair way, to put it mildly, to win the argument. And some of the left, which I respect, the the focus on, on the working class's conditions and their opportunities and their upward mobility, was very concerned about this kind of immigration and the depressing effects on on wages and opportunities. And there was a lot of frustration even within the Labour Party at the degree to which the working class was saying, we need help. And the supposed left, who's supposed to represent the the interests of the uh, the working classes, basically just turned their backs and and pursued political power at their expense. Well, precisely. And then you can look at it from another angle, which is young people who voted to remain, and these are mainly privileged young people, let's be honest, they're not from council estates, they're not from poor backgrounds, are out, again, not wanting to play by the rules. As you said, historically, they've lost the debate, so now they're trying to change the demographics, they're trying to cheat and not play by the rules. They're now out there saying that old people, because they voted leave, should be banned from voting, because they're not going to be around for very much longer, so they don't really matter. These, these are literally the people whose fathers fought and died to prevent the United Kingdom from being ruled from Germany. I mean, they want to ban old people from voting because they claim the youth, the future of the youth in Britain has been stolen because we're going to leave the EU. I mean, look at youth unemployment throughout Europe. Not too good, is it? Greece, <laughs> you know, 50% youth unemployment. Spain, 45% youth unemployment. So again, they're using the same old debunked arguments. They're completely wrong. They're disgracing the memory of the people who built this country, the people who fought and died from it. But as you said, they've lost the argument historically. So now they refuse to play by the rules. And that's why they're trying to get this idea of a second amendment through. Second referendum, sorry. And the um, the issue, of course, with regards to immigration was, was very important. Um, but of course, the issues with regards to the economy were very important as well. 
Um, just just the top 100 regulations imposed by the EU are supposed to cost the uh, UK economy uh, 46.6 billion dollars. And that so the top 100 EU regulations, of which there are thousands and thousands and thousands, the top 100 EU regulations cost more than the 37.8 billion dollars in local property taxes, the council taxes paid to the UK Treasury just last year. Uh, it is astounding. 40,000 EU-derived legal acts, 15,000 court verdicts, and 62,000 international standards are displacing the power and simplicity of ancient British common law. And that is an absolutely unmanageable situation. And there's no way those regulations are going to slow down. If anything, they're only going to accelerate putting more spiderweb chokeholds on the vitality of the British economy. Well, precisely. And again, you know, only 6% of uh, British medium and small businesses actually export to the EU. They're forced to comply with 100% of the regulations. You know, I gave you the example last time, the salmon smoker in London forced to put the fact that his product contained fish on the packaging of salmon, you know, cost him thousands and thousands of pounds. A lot of businesses just don't even bother. I mean, I know people who have tried to set up businesses. They look at the regulations they have to comply with and they just say, this is just not worth it. There's no support for that kind of thing. But again, there's all this fear mongering about people living abroad, you know, expats and so forth. If after this Brexit vote, you will still be able to get into the United Kingdom. This goes for EU citizens as well, because they're all over BBC. It's <laughs> they actually visited Poland and they were like, how is this going to affect the poor Polish people? Well, who cares? I mean, it's our referendum, right? But even still after Brexit, you know, you can still live and work in the UK if you have a job, if you have health care, and if you have no criminal record. That sounds perfectly reasonable to me. For the first time, we'll actually be able to stop criminals getting into our country. We're going to seize back huge powers from all these Euro judges who override our justice system. So the benefits are just never ending. This is really going to invigorate the country. And from a, you know, from a general perspective, this actually gives us something to be proud of. I felt patriotic probably for the first time in my entire life, because just like America, even though we're completely swamped by diversity, we just let everybody in. We're still constantly lectured about how racist we are, how bigoted we are. We're lectured about our colonial history. We're supposed to be ashamed of where we come from. We're supposed to be ashamed of this flag. For the first time, British people have got something to be proud about, something to be patriotic about. And just that general sense of that, you know, invigoration, that get up and go is going to be a huge mood lifter for the entire country. And that's going to translate into the economy, as is the removal of these regulations. The danger is that they would simply mirror all the regulations that are already in place. And, you know, we'd have a similar situation. So that's what I've emphasized over and over again. We need to hold their feet to the fire because the political establishment, the political class, even more so than the Eurocrats, are starting to signal that this might not even happen. I mean, we had, we had a former Blair advisor last night uh, appearing on BBC Newsnight. I wrote an article about this, Jonathan Powell, who said that because there's going to be a new prime minister, obviously Cameron's quit, or there might be a new general election soon, we will have to have that process first. And then after that, they will have to go back to the EU and work out another deal. And then we're going to have another referendum. And he actually directly said, this is a quote, remember, 
The Irish have done that twice this century. They voted against the treaty, had a second vote, and voted for it. So he's obviously talking about how the EU in numerous countries, Ireland, France, and the Netherlands, they have treaties, the people vote against them, the people reject them. They simply keep having referendums until they get the result they want. And that's what the political class, that's what the media, that's what the army of leftist morons signing this petition for a second referendum are going to keep continuing to push for. So again, the campaign is not over. We need to carry this through. Right. And there is so much at stake because, I mean, throughout the West, economic growth is languishing, diminishing in in some areas. Youth unemployment, as you point out, is enormously high. And this is because all of the major Western countries have been operating under the same general paradigm. Massive government spending and subsidies and regulations and uh, the central bank nonsense of uh, counterfeiting, of the sort of quantitative easing, uh, of holding down interest rates uh, and thus punishing savers, now even crossing into the territory of negative interest rates, which is like inventing a time machine that takes you back to the Stone Age. And none of this is working. None of this is working, as, of course, Austrian economists and free market economists have been predicting for, I don't know, approximately 12,000 years. And I think that there is a rejection of this giant superstate manipulation of the economy, which is supposed to produce the magic pixie dust of infinite wealth, and instead is pushing the West into a Japanese-style multi-decade uncertainty, uh, depression, recession, uh, with this, all the associated low birth rates from the highest quality people, and... I think that there is some doubt beginning to creep into all of these promises. This may be a reflection of that. Well, precisely. You can see that that that's a growing um, opinion now with what's happening in in Holland and in France and and in Ireland, actually. They're talking about having their referendum to exit the EU. So it could have that. Um, domino effect. But it was Britain's, the fact that Britain had some small measure of economic independence from the EU in the first place, that's why our economy managed to recover quite a lot better than many of the other economies in Europe. And remember, you know, they they were about to invite Serbia, they've got Turkey waiting to join, they're going to become a member. We were just going to end up sending more money over to these failing countries, to this failing institution. We're going to save a hell of a lot of money. But again, don't underestimate them stealing this. They're going to try and sabotage it. I mean, I called it beforehand, and the drumbeat of propaganda is even louder than I expected. That Literally every 10 minutes, they're on the news saying, oh, the second referendum's up to 1.4 million signatures. It's up to 1.5 million signatures. They're going to try and pull through with this. If you actually check on the website, you can go into the source coding and see that many of the people voting for this aren't even British. They're from Macedonia. They're from Albania. They're from Kazakhstan. So it's a complete fraud to begin with. Half of the British people who signed this petition are probably, you know, Facebook virtue signaling mom's basement dwellers who couldn't even be bothered to get off their arses and vote in the actual referendum. But, you know, as long as they could Uh, virtue signal about how trendy and progressive they are on social media. That was what was important to them. So again, they lost. They're throwing their toys out of the pram. They're wetting the bed and they're out on the streets attacking people who wear Union Jack flags and demanding another vote. These are fascists. They They don't recognize the democratic decision of the British people, but they're supported by certain aspects of the British political establishment 
who will continue to push for this narrative. Even the Mirror, the Daily Mirror, which was a pro-Remain newspaper, came out yesterday and said, Europe is destabilized because of this Brexit vote. ISIS will carry out attacks in Europe, and this will help them because we're so unstable. They're going to blame the next ISIS attack on uh, Brexit because, of course, it has nothing to do with Islam. God forbid we, we would have to have that discussion. So everything that bad that happens in terms of global security, in terms of the economy over the next six months will be blamed on Brexit. Watch out for this. They will try to de- derail it at every single turn. Well, then it would be nice if a lot of the leftist agitators were out there protesting against the sexual abuse scandal in Rotherham and so on, but they couldn't be asked to get themselves off their couch to deal with that. But now that there's a democratic vote to leave a pretty corrupt and dictatorial organization, suddenly they have found their moral center and their outrage and they're out there waving placards and punching people. Do you think that... um the domino effect, you know, now, of course, the France, the Netherlands, Austria, Finland, Hungary, other countries are thinking of leaving, or at least there are constituents uh, uh, agitating for that. Of course, uh, Switzerland has, uh, in a very sane moment, withdrawn its application to join the EU. Do you think that this is going to do something to encourage other people who wish to get out as well? Well, you've, you've seen the success of Marine Le Pen in France. I mean, she, she's still a favorite for the presidential election. So you already had that conservative revolt sweeping Europe since the uh, Euro elections back in 2014. Denmark as well, the AFD party in Germany, again, making huge gains. You had the Netherlands reject recently a, a European agreement with regard to Ukraine. So the ground was already fertile before this referendum This has given them the confidence to vote. And in fact, there's an article up on Drudge Report. Germany warns five more countries could leave Europe after Brexit. So it appears that that domino effect could be, you know, starting to unravel. And the EU itself could be starting to unravel because it was only ever as strong as its weakest member. They sold unity as strength. It turned out to be the exact opposite. Britain's realized that. And then finally now, Several of these other European countries could be about to make the, the same move, and it's, it's brilliant for democracy, for sovereignty. Well, and of course, as countries leave, the remaining countries are on the hook for more of the EU's costs, which are huge. Uh, Angela Merkel, right, Germany faces having to pay an extra £2.44 billion a year. Uh, after Britain leaves to the annual EU budget. So it is, I think, a snowball effect. Everyone who leaves make it, make, makes it even more painful for those who remain. Who It's not like it's not that the EU is going to say, oh, a member country has left, therefore we're going to shrink our size by it. No, they're going to say stay as big and grow as, as fast as, as ever. And so more of the costs are going to be allocated to the remainders, uh, which means that they're going to have a stronger incentive for getting out. Well, precisely, maybe... Angela Merkel will stop having to import over a million Muslim migrants every year. Maybe they'll start having to reassess that policy to save some money. But obviously the burden is now going to fall on the remaining members. Then you've got countries like Scotland, who you know, was completely dependent on England. Their main exports seem to be mediocre whiskey and heroin addicts. Now they're <laughs> going to have to go back to the EU, um, get another agreement with them. They're going to have to have another referendum to gain their independence from the rest of the United Kingdom, even though financially they're completely dependent on us. So Scotland will have to join the EU. And it's basically just going to end up being a bunch of failed states sucking off the teat of Brussels. And then the whole thing eventually, hopefully, will 
collapse, but it's been long in the works. Don't forget that as far back as, you know, 1955, uh, the Bilderberg Group was planning the euro. They planned this EU superstate federation decades before it was even a free trade area. So they're not going to let it go quietly into the night. But the signs are that, you know, this is a stunning rejection of everything they stand for. The globalists out there who have been, you know, crying in their cornflakes over this since the vote. That's amazing to see. Um, And another angle on it, which I wanted to mention is, you know, this is a devastating rejection of collectivism, of leftist Mm. politics in general, of feminism. Even if you look at how people voted, uh, the people who who thought the following issues were were forces for ill voted for leave. Multiculturalism, social liberalism, feminism, the green movement, globalization, immigration. Of course, on every one of those issues, the people who voted for leave were strongly against those issues. They thought they were a force for ill. So this is what surprised the establishment. This is what surprised the social justice warrior virtue signaling left, that they don't have a majority anymore. They lost the debate. Who knew that calling somebody racist 100,000 times wasn't going to convince anyone? (laughs) Well, I have had my criticisms of the baby boomers, but part of me, uh, my heart is beginning to warm its corner cockles, uh, Paul, to the point where I'm almost saying, baby boomers, all is forgiven. Uh, And... um, because it was, of course, you, you could see this ladder stepping up of the people who were uh, pro-leave among the young. It was relatively low, middle-aged, medium, and then it was higher among the older people. And I think that's part of that old story from um, George Orwell's 1984, where Winston Smith goes into a bar and asks an old man what life was like before the revolution. And the old man can barely remember. And that flushing down the memory hole of what England was like before the EU. Well, I think the older people remember and had some some marker to go back with and remember that it was, you know, stable and positive in many ways. And, you know, under Thatcher certainly had some push towards some more free market uh, and um, uh, immigration skeptical policies. But of course, the younger people have grown up in the EU. And for them, it's like saying to the fish, let's drain the sea. They just know, how could we possibly live without it? Where, of course, the uh, to stretch the metaphor a little, the amphibians of the elder generation remember what life on land was like and were able to to navigate their way back based on immediate memory. And for that, uh, I think we have a lot to be grateful for. Precisely. And I mean, one of the fun- fundamental confusions with young people They thought that the UK was actually going to leave Europe as a continent. We were leaving a corrupt political union, not a continent. So I think in the back of their minds, and this was, of course, thanks to the brainwashing, they thought that, you know, we wouldn't get like French wine imported and things like this. We wouldn't get cheese. They actually thought it was about building a cultural wall around the United Kingdom. And we would just have no interaction with Europe. Like you wouldn't even be able to go on holiday. I think a lot of quite stupid people thought this because that's the way it was framed by the Remain campaign. They tried to frame it as this, oh, you know, love is love, cultural thing. Let's embrace everybody. Well, of course, that's not diversity. Diversity is about European countries having their own cultures, their own traditions, their own national identity. It's about the UK having its own national identity. All that is going to continue and we can still interact with it and trade and get the best aspects of it from each other. That's not what the vote was about. But a lot of people, a lot of young people especially, thought that it was because of the indoctrination, because of this 
you know, nebulous love is love hashtag thing that was going around. And again, they've, they've been proven completely wrong. That's why they're trying to push for a second referendum. Fruit is diversity. A smoothie is not. And it takes a lot of blades and cutting to turn one into the other. And this idea, too, like just if you get divorced from a guy, it doesn't mean you have to go live in a nunnery. I mean, all it all it means is that you're leaving a corrupt and abusive relationship. And I sort of had this this vision uh, of the EU like this, you know, sinister sultan, you know, with this harem. And one of the women in the harem decides to leave. And uh, this, of course, pr- provides idea because yeah, he's an abusive guy. He's sweaty. He's disgusting. He's gross and whatever. And so the other women in the harem are like, hmm, wait, we can do that? that that's a possibility. And so I think what's going to happen with the EU is they're going to rush around trying to placate, trying to appease, uh, to, to avoid the other women in the harem saying, wait, we don't have to submit to the sweaty guy's <laughs> feeble gropes. And I think there is going to be this process of appeasement. And that is very much a, a pattern in abusive relationships. You know, like the, the guy, to take a typical example, the guy who beats up on his wife and she's like, that's it, I'm leaving. He's like, oh, bring your flowers. I'm going to change. I'm going to be the best thing ever. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. What is going to continue for everyone in the European Union is an ever escalation of what has happened before. And the momentary appeasement you're going to get because they got goosed is not going to last. And it's going to bounce back with redoubled ferocity and control and uh, regulations and increased taxation and all of the mess that goes with an escalating super state. Don't listen to any of the appeasements that happen, any of the promises of reform. I believe they're all false and manipulative and we should just stop listening to these liars and don't make them have another referendum and force you to vote again until they get the result they want the good news from my perspective and this is the only surprise for me is that the eurocrats you know Juncker and all those kind of people seem very desperate to get this brexit done very quickly it seems like they want to you know amputate the poison limb or whatever very quickly. I would have expected it to be the opposite, where they dragged it on to try to get us into another referendum. But it's the political class in Britain that seems to be more into that. So the Eurocrats seem to be desperate to move on from this, to forget about it, which again shows, again, it exemplifies how concerned they are about this contagion, this dangerous contagion of reclaiming sovereignty, power and money spreading throughout the rest of the continent. Well, and for people, I know that some people are having trouble with the whole, because I sort of immersed myself in, in Brexit stuff for the past couple of months, as you have, when I put out my uh, Tasting the Wine <laughs> video, a lot of people were like, what's this all about? And so on. I think a decent way to, to point it out um, is to say, imagine if someone else had power of attorney over your life decisions, you know, if you were considered to be incapable of making them for yourselves. And, and then you went to court and you got that power of attorney removed and you then would take control of your own resources. Um, that's basically uh, all, all it's about. It's uh, England or Great Britain as a, uh, as a group uh, taking back control of their own political process from unaccountable, unelected um, people with extraordinary conflicts of self-interest in a remote place called Brussels who don't particularly care about whether some guy in England has a job or not. Uh, it is simply moving power back to the people, back to a more responsive political system. And in one checkmark of millions of boxes, a huge and disgusting and vile and predatory layers of uh, a number of layers of government bureaucracy and control have been removed. And that is an astounding revolution, uh, I think, that is going to echo for quite some time, not only in Europe, but across the pond in America and around the world. It's absolutely stunning. It's, it came completely out of the blue because, of course, 
for days beforehand, we had them exploiting the murder of Joe Cox. They became sort of arrogant after that. They thought that, you know, that all this grief porn would have swung it for them. They had a poll just uh, as the voting closed, which showed Remain at 52% ahead. Everyone was out on social media celebrating the great victory, and they got a surprise smack in the chops later on. So, I mean, that was great to see. But yeah, it, it is a stunning revolt, and this is only the beginning. But we need to continue to hold their feet to the fire. This post-Brexit government that's going to come into fruition when Cameron steps down, which looks like it's going to be in October. And by the way, it's come out today that he stepped down because he basically couldn't be bothered to negotiate the Brexit himself. He didn't have the energy to do it. So it's that post-Brexit government that's going to be really important. If they stuff that with globalists, with infiltrators who try to sabotage this, which is a very real possibility, then this is all going to be for nothing. So it's a huge victory. We've reclaimed sovereignty, but it's only the first stage of the protest. The battle has not yet been won. But again, it's a stunning, spectacular victory for true populism for the people against the establishment. And as Churchill said um, in the middle of World War II, uh, this is not the beginning of the end. It is, however, perhaps the end of the beginning of change. But yes, people need to go and, and continue to fight the fight. It is not over. It is not, human liberty is not won one in one moment in a checkbox in a rainy booth. Uh, you do actually have to continue. So thank you so much. Please remember to go, um, for my listeners and other people watching this, go to youtube.com slash prisonplanetlive to check out more of Paul's uh, excellent, excellent videos. And of course, you can check out his writing at Infowars.com. Uh, thanks again for everything that you've done. And um, I think we've uh, got some well-earned celebrations before we get back to work. But uh, it was a job well done by everyone who was involved in this. Thanks so much for your time, Paul. Always a great pleasure. Okay, thanks, Stefan. I appreciate it.